if you'd like to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to switch over the mics. Thank you. Okay. I'm up and running. Thanks. Okay. So it really is a privilege to preach the Word. I always value preaching the Word. It's an honor every time I get up to preach. And I never want to take it for granted. And I just want to pray before we start this morning. Can we do that? Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your, your Word. I thank you for the power of the gospel to transform us and change us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me communicate clearly and effectively this morning. I pray that you'd give me grace for this task, Lord. It's such a, a responsibility to preach the Word of God. And I pray that you'd help me to do it well this morning. I pray that you'd help me to do it effectively and passionately and to communicate what's on your heart. And I pray that everything that is from your heart would take root in our lives. I pray that Things, some things that I might say that are not from you, that they would not take root in us. I pray that everything that is from you would bear fruit in our lives. And I trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning I've entitled this message, Devotion, Fellowship, and Prayer. Devotion, Fellowship, and Prayer. And for those of you that were here last week, I preached a message called A Community Compelled by Love. A Community Compelled by Love trying to summarize some of the things that we feel like we're called to as a church. And I thought it would be good just to kind of recap uh, a couple of points that I made last week for, the, for those of you that might not have been here. I felt God give me a phrase before I left on holiday, to go on holiday at Christmas time, and it was a simple phrase, and it was simply this, a covenant community on a mission together. A covenant community on a mission together. I feel like that encapsulates what God has called us to as a church. We are a covenant community on a mission together. If you've gone onto our webpage, you'll see a very simple mission statement. Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. That encapsulates what we're on uh, as a church, what we're about as a church. The mission that we are on together is to live out and preach the gospel of Jesus through our lives to everyone that we can touch. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of good news. It's a gospel not of religion, but of freedom in Christ and all that that means. And if you've been part of this church for any while, we've been trying to preach into that subject for at least the last two or three years. The good news of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And our responsibility as co-laborers with Christ is to take that good news into our, our neighborhood, our friends, our families, our communities, and to see something of the good impact of the gospel here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're looking to see an increase of that. We're looking to see an increase of His rule, His righteousness, His grace, His mercy, His love in our lives and through our lives into the lives of others. That is what this church is about. And so last week I took that um, phrase, our vision statement, root in Christ, planted in family, and I, I had a look what it means to be rooted in the gospel because essentially we have to be rooted in the gospel. We have to be rooted in the good news of Christ ourselves. And I had a look what that means. And then I had a look what it means to live as a good news community together. What does it mean to be planted into a church family? And we'd, I looked at that a little bit. And um, part of that being planted into family, I addressed something which I feel is a, is a, 
is an evil in the life of, the, of, of many churches, and that's individualism. It's an idol in our culture. It's every man for himself. It's don't you tell me how to live my life. I was just speaking this morning with, um, with uh, Rachel about this, this wonderful thing going around on YouTube. This uh, a young guy making some statements. It's called uh, Why I Love Jesus and I Hate Religion. It's a brilliant thing on YouTube if you want to have a look for it. Uh, look, at, look at it. And it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a poem where he just talks about the freedom that God has brought for us in Christ and, and all that that means. My only, Rachel said to me, what do you think of that? Because I've watched it. My only, my only concern is this, is that for many people, they associate, when you use the word religion, they associate the church with it. I want to say religion and church are not the same thing. Okay, God calls us into community. He calls us to be linked and, and our lives to be shared as believers. The individualistic nature of our age says, I don't need the church. I can just do my, my, my own relationship with Jesus on Sunday at home with me and my family. That is not church. Don't let anyone fool you. That is not church. That is deception. That is the spirit of this age. And we are called as believers to stand against that and to preach the good news of Jesus, and to be linked together in community. And so there's so many things that vie for our affection on Sundays. Sport, etc., etc., etc. It's not the gospel. The gospel of Christ says, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And I had a look at that last week. And so there's this highly individualistic society in which we live, and yet the gospel calls us to live an other-centered life, not living for our selfish little needs, not living for just for the prosperity of me and my family, but living for the good of others and living for the good of the community. This is the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave himself unselfishly in the person of Jesus to all of us. And our calling as Christians who believe the gospel is to give ourselves unselfishly for the sake of others. That is not convenient. That's the gospel. <laughs> it is the good news, all right? And so if you missed that message last week, please go and listen to it. So the, the, all of that is based on a bedrock of covenant. First of all, responding to the covenant that God has initiated with us in Christ, and then that covenant we work out with each other in friendship, in family. And, uh, and I, I called you, I, I challenged us as a community to two things last week. The first is the hard call under the grace of God to live and preach the gospel of Jesus through our lives. That's the first thing I called you to do. It is a hard call. We are all priests. It's not just my responsibility to preach the good news of Jesus. My responsibility is to equip you who are the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians says. I have to live the work of the ministry and reach out to my own neighbors, but my responsibility and anyone else who's a preacher is called to help equip the saints for the good work of, of service and that we together are serving the community through our lives. Amen? That's the first thing I called you to do, the first part of this high call. And I believe we are going to see many saved this year. I believe these empty chairs that we bought in faith are going to be filled. I believe it with all of my heart. And secondly, I called you as a church to another commitment under the grace of God, because this is not, you, there's no compulsion in this. No one can force you to do anything. The only thing that can inspire you is the Holy Spirit of God inside of yourself. <laughs> and we can look at Acts chapter 2. It's only the Spirit of God that can continue to motivate you from the inside out. Only the Spirit of God. And I called you under grace to be part of building this community of faith, this band of brothers and sisters, building a covenant community together here. 
That's what I called you to do. There are many expressions of the, of the body of Christ all over the place, and I bless every single one. Everyone. I love the vineyard. I get on well with the, the leadership of the vineyard, uh, and Chris and the guys there. We pray together every week. I love Tony Hill. He's a dear brother. Uh, uh, the, uh, he leads the Anglican church up the road. We, we pray with the guys down the road every week. Every Wednesday, I pray with 25 guys. And we pray for the kingdom to come. And we pray for the gospel to come. Everyone, one of, one of us leading churches, want to see the kingdom come. I bless that. And if you are part, if you have linked your heart to this church, I'm calling you under grace to commit yourself to help building this lampstand. This lampstand. With your time and your talent and your treasure and your gifting and everything that's in you. This lamb stand, because God has called you here to this family. Amen? No, I am passionate about it. <laughs> no excuses this morning, all right? And um, last week I asked you, I encouraged you to go and read that article in the Sunday Telegraph, dated the 1st of, June, which co- uh, 1st of January, which was an article called A Return to Religion. And what it did, there was this guy called Peter Osborne, and he just was talking about the growth of the church in London, statistically, over the last 10 years. It's incredibly encouraging. So I want to ask you to go and get the link and go and look at that. And be encouraged. So he looked at St. Mary's Islington, and he looked at Hillsong, and he looked at HTB, and he looked at a whole lot of churches that have seen great growth over the last 10 years. It is encouraging. More people, 1.7 million people attend Anglican churches in this country. That is more than everyone who attends live football. Yes! How wonderful is that? Ah. The world would say that the God of this world is, this God of our age is football. I want to say, or rugby, whatever it is, there are more people that worship King Jesus on Sunday than go to football. Yes! Come on, it's worth getting excited about. And so I said, uh, there are five personal faith statements that I made last week that I encourage you to pray with me in. And the first was this, I have faith that this year God can more fully fashion us into a community of faith that loves Him and loves each other. Amen? <laughs> that we love Him with all of our hearts and we love each other with all of our hearts. Number one. Pray with me into that. Number two, I have faith that this year we can see many added through salvation as the gospel is preached. I said to you that um, I'm I'm, I'm trusting for this church to grow from 200 to 300. That's a big, big, bold statement. 200 to 300. I'm including the kids in this. We have about 70 to 80 active families. I want to see 120 active families in the church. Yes? Can you believe with me to jo- and join your heart with me to believe for that? Well, why, why do we have to be like apologetic about making some bold statements? Well, we want this church to grow. We, we want the kingdom to come. We want to see many sons come to glory. We don't want to just sit with the same bunch of people every week. And I love you all. And it's, this is not, please, this is not personal. But there must be more than this. This is about the world. This is about the kingdom. This is about unsaved people who have broken lives coming into God's order and God's kingdom and seeing darkness be transformed into light. Amen. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, for those of you that are visiting, I'm not angry, all right? I say that because I speak loudly and then people think I'm angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> I just, I'm passionate. I have faith. Fourthly, that all these things will be added to us 
family, friends, provision, His future, signs and wonders, and His Holy Spirit in added measure. I have faith. Jesus says, if you forsake family and friends for my kingdom, you will find it. Jesus says, if you give yourself and seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. All these things will. I'm trusting. We don't go after the things. We go after Him. And our simple faith is that as we go after Him, He is faithful to us, and He will provide, and He will take care, and there will be none amongst us that are in need because of His faithfulness and the faithfulness of His people who are conduits of His grace. So, I said lastly that I faith that this year no ministry will be lacking and no finances will be lacking so that we truly can become the church that God has called us to be and we can give ourselves away generously. <laughs> generously. We want to give 5,000 pounds to Slovenia. We want to spend money in terms of alpha and doing it well. We want to, we want to sow, not just be surviving and meeting together. That's not what it's about. It's about being generous outward. I believe that's the only reason God wants to bless you financially. It's so that you can be a blessing to other people, that you can be a conduit of His grace. That's why He wants to bless you. I want to say this to you. Oh, no, I don't want to say this to you because I'll just offend people. (laughs) So how's that going to be achieved, okay? How's that going to be achieved? Acts 2.42. I've preached this before and I was reminded of this again recently um, by Claire. And I want to just bring it to you again. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is radical. <laughs> this is radical. This is, the, this is the birth of the church. This is an extraordinary move that birthed the church. And if you've read Acts, which I'm sure you have, you know that this portion comes directly after Paul, uh, after Peter has preached the gospel, preached the good news, and people have responded to what he has said to them. And so they express their repentance by being baptized. And it's obvious for Luke, who's writing this account, it's obvious he takes it for granted that they have experienced forgiveness, that they, they have experienced Christ, that they've received the promised Holy Spirit, that they are new people, that they are born again. He takes that for granted in the way that he writes it. And as a result of this new birth in this bunch of people, something extraordinary happens. It is absolutely extraordinary. And these little four little verses here, a couple of verses here, are absolutely amazing in terms of what they are actually saying about the birth of the church. This is the first account of a revived and restored Israel. The church is the new Israel of God. Understand what I'm saying? It's not about the synagogue anymore. It's not about the temple. It's not about Israel. It's about the church. He has the first restored congregation of Israel. The entire church are this, this little bunch of people. It's God's Israel, which has been restored by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And later on, this church multiplies. And then we get the great apostle Paul, who's the master builder. And he goes all over the ancient world in Ephesus and Corinth and all the places that God takes him to. And he plants many churches. And we see this explosion of life in the first century. 
in terms of the early church. But here is the first little congregation. And I want to say to you, this is a snapshot of a revived church. You want to know what revival is? This is what revival looks like. This is a revived church. And I want to contrast that starkly to James chapter 1, which we've been studying, which is, a, which is a, an, the Apostle James writing to a backslidden, discouraged church, trying to, trying to get them back to the, the beginning. And so here we see a church at its best. Here we see church as it should be. It's a picture for us to gaze upon. It's a picture for us to wonder at and to be inspired by. That actually church, yes, church can be like this. It can be like this. And we're all so cynical, aren't we? We're all so sick and tired of, of, of prosperity stuff. We're all so sick and tired of, well, I am. I can't, I can't bear to put on the God channel because sometimes there's something that's an absolute gem, but most of it is absolute rubbish. It doesn't preach the gospel. It's about money. It's about television ministry. It's about celebrity culture in the church. I hate that. Thank you, Petri. Don't be fooled. We want the gospel. We want the truth of Jesus. We want men and women who are prepared to be absolutely stuck away in places where no one's ever heard of them and they preach faithfully the good news of Jesus. And if no one hears about them, it's okay. What's a celebrity culture? If you haven't got a television show and you haven't written a book, you don't count. It's garbage. There are many good people that have written many good books. And I celebrate that. But let's not get drawn by the spirit of the world. Sorry. <laughs> So, my commitment to you is this fivefold commitment this morning. This, this is what we want to aim at as a church. One, we want to aim at the teaching of the gospel as central. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? They taught the good news of Jesus. They taught the good news of grace. They taught the good news. They listened. These people listened to the eyewitnesses' account, the eyewitness accounts of the apostles, and they fully embraced that, and they let it become their story. They, it became theirs. It became their gospel. It became their truth. They fully embraced the good news of Jesus. Fully embraced it. That has to be the starting place for you and I. That we fully embrace the good news of Jesus. This is our commitment for everyone who's in this pulpit, that we will do our best to preach the gospel. And we won't always get it right. All right? My question to you, my challenge to you is this. Have you fully embraced the gospel in your life? Are there parts of your life that have not fully come into the freedom and the forgiveness that the gospel brings? Are you hedging your bets in some areas of your life? Are you withholding? Are you saying, okay, God, yeah, yeah, that, that part I give you about this. No, I'm holding on to this. I want to encourage you, let the fullness of the gospel come. You know what I've found is the more that we've, we've been tr trusting God by the power of the Spirit to transform us in our marriage and our parenting, you know what it does? It just brings freedom into our family and freedom into our lives, and we enjoy more freedom. <laughs> it's wonderful. Not laboring under anything, but trusting God and saying, God, you do it. Now, what is the gospel? This is the gospel that we are saved by grace, through faith. We have not earned God's favor in any way simply because Jesus has died for us. It's a free gift so that none of us can boast. None of us can boast. Right? They devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. My point is simply this. 
As it comes, that's the first thing that it said. They devoted themselves to the Word, to the apostles' teaching, to the, the Gospel. And then it says the result of that is that they have a common faith and they have fellowship. They have fellowship. There can be no other basis for fellowship in any church except the Word of God. We come together not because we have a common culture, not because we like each other, not because we like the music. No other reason. The only thing that should bring us together in any local congregation is a passion for Jesus. That is it. It is so simple. (laughs) Uh, I trust that we do like each other. We do want to be together. These are all good things. But the primary reason we get together is because of Him, Jesus. That's why we get together. Thirdly, it says the cross is central to their lives. It says they break bread. They celebrate breaking bread. That's why we break bread. I said it this morning. The simplicity of the act of breaking bread is to remind ourselves on a weekly basis that we need the cross in our lives. We need Jesus. We need His grace. And it's through the Lord's Supper, it's through the breaking of the bread, that, that, that the church keeps focused on Christ. He's the center. He's our boast. He's our, the highest anthem of our hearts. He is our all in all. Be my everything, we sang this morning. That's why we value the breaking of bread. That's why we want to do it often, as much as we can. And fourthly, can I just say to you, do you notice that prayer doesn't come first? Isn't that interesting? Prayer doesn't come first. Prayer is mentioned fourth. I believe that is the pattern of the New Testament. We have to first submit to God's Word. Second, we have to be in fellowship with God's called out ones, other believers. We have to be in fellowship with God's people. Thirdly, it's through faith in the cross that we can begin to ask anything. And it's when those three things are in place, truly then we can pray together and see power come. How can we pray with people that are not even in fellowship? What is that? All these little prayer meetings all over the place, just me and my mates, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. What is that? It's not church. It's not doing anything. Not building anything. God is building His kingdom. He's building His church with real living stones that are prepared to love each other and get together and get up in the morning and stay up late, whatever it takes, just to seek Him. Prayer is oxygen. Prayer is the lifeblood of any church. But it comes when we are rooted in the Word. It comes when we love each other and we're drawn together. It comes because we see the power of the cross and we're not striving for anything. It's His grace in our lives. That's when prayer is powerful, when we're praying from that place. And what does it say? It says, after that, it says, they experience the presence of God in amazing ways, in a powerful way. It says, signs and wonders. How many of you want to see people healed and set free? I desire that with all my heart. It says there's great generosity amongst them. They're all giving, all sharing. There's even this, it describes a short-term voluntary communal lifestyle. And I believe it is short-term. I don't believe it's ongoing. But those that wanted to, they lived together, and they shared everything together, and they said, we're going to do this thing. It's like Christian community. And lastly, it says, Luke tells us, it says, they worshipped daily, <laughs> daily in the temple. So there was a persistent dedication in their lives. There was a joyful anointing in their lives. 
that they had found in the Holy Spirit. That's why I said to you earlier, no one can force us or coerce us into anything. It is only by the power of the life of the Spirit within us that any of this is sustainable. I I can't force you to come and pray. I can't force you to preach through your life. I can't force you to, to give, to be generous. The only thing that can do that in you is a revelation of the love of God to you that is ignited in your heart, and because of that revelation, you want to live a certain way. That's, that's the only thing that's going to do it. It's the Holy Spirit. And so, they took their, their kind of style from Jesus, because Jesus had gone around the temples, preaching in the temple courts. It was a public place, and so that's what they did. They met in the public place of the temple, and um, they preached the gospel. They met together. And it says also that they had smaller meetings in each other's homes. They loved being together, And as God used them in an amazing way to impact the community, it says daily people were added, a whole bunch of people were added, and they loved them by taking them to their homes. And it says the congregation was added to daily. I mean, this is a very simple, very uh, profound snapshot. It's a a blueprint, if you like, of what church should be. And uh, I'm not saying that in any kind of legalistic way, but it's a picture for us of what church can be. Church should be. And I also want to hold it up to you as a picture of what I would love this church to become more and more like that. And I'm sure every single other person would in this church hopefully would amen that. So what are we committed to? I'm going to give you three or four things and then we're done. What are we committed to out of this portion? Well, we're committed to the gospel. And I've already said to you as a leadership team, we are committed to investigating that, prayerfully considering that, and in a spirit-led way, making the gospel the center of everything that we do in this church. And I've spent time speaking about that. I don't want to take much time about that this morning. Secondly, we are committed to leading as a team. All right? We are committed to leading as a team. And that means that we've spent a year, in fact, investigating some of the strengths of the growing leadership team that we have. And it is, it is a transitory team. It's not um, the guys that I keep mentioning, mentioning uh, in so, in, as I speak to you, it's not, this is not set in stone. As people, God adds where we lack, the team will grow and it will change. But we have um, Richard and, uh, and Callum looking after outreach and, and mission. We have uh, Gary and Jill looking after how we welcome and host people. We have Petri and Corvus looking after the home groups. Helen is doing a great job with some of the ladies and other people with the kids. Uh, I'm working with Becky, and already it was wonderful to see some, some new guys leading worship. We're taking responsibility for worship, and there are a number of areas that I can't mention now. But this is a team-led thing. It's not just individuals. And so we took a year to investigate what our strengths were and how we can get better as a church. And this thing of being a covenant community on a mission together has implications. It means that all of us have to discover what is God has gifted us to do, every single one of us. That means that we passionately love His church, not just the, the bride of Christ. It's easy to love the church out there. God also calls us to love this church here. And it's both. It's to love His bride and to bless His bride. And it's to love this church where God has called us to be, this lampstand. And that means to love her people. You know, I, I don't say I'm the most easy person to get on with. <laughs> I'm aware of my own frailties. I'm aware of some areas that I'm not skilled in. But you know what? God adds others to our lives that helps us in those areas. Isn't that true? We need each other. This is my greatest, greatest, greatest 
thing of this individualistic culture, which actually says, I don't need anybody. I want to say to you, but you need people. You need every single person on this planet that is called into the body of Christ. You cannot do it on your own. No man is an island. Who said that? One of the great English poets. I can't remember now. John Donne. No man is an island. No, no, none of us. We all need each other. The body says this. In the, the, the language of the scripture is, we are a body. The big toe cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. <laughs> we need the head, Christ, but we all need each other. And so, to love a people, to become those that joyfully, lovingly, sacrificially release the gift that God has gifted us with into His church so that everyone can benefit, benefit from it. We are here to joyfully serve the people of this community and this church. So to do that, we need to be aiming in the same direction. And so um, two areas I want to call you to, again, in the high call of the grace of God, just as I called you to living and preaching the gospel, just as I called you to a covenantal relationship with each other, I want to call you to two areas this morning out of this portion, and then Becky Becky's going to preach next week on worship. I'm looking forward to that. Eh? We want women to preach in this church, all right? And uh, many women have preached in this church, and I would love many more to preach in this church. It's not just a male thing, all right? There are some churches that say only men can preach. We're not one of them, all right? So either you're going to enjoy that or you're going to hate that. So I don't know, all right? Uh, but uh, I believe the Bible makes room for gifting. Gifting. Whether it's a male speaking or whether it's a female speaking, all right? And so... We're going to explore something of that. So here are two things that I want to call you to under the high call of the grace of God. And the first is a commitment to prayer. We have the Word. The Word has brought liberty and freedom. We have each other. We have the cross. And now I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to pray. Helen and I went and met with Toxin Eunice. If you've been around Toxin Eunice... You know that there are people that love to pray. It's an obvious gift in their lives. We discussed this week how we can further facilitate prayer in our lives and in the life of this church. You know, Christians pray just like water is wet. It's part of our DNA. It should be something that we do easily. But you know what is amazing is that it's probably for all of us it's the most hard thing to do. To actually put time aside and to pray. I don't know why that is, but it's true. And we know that we need it, but it's the most difficult thing to do. I want to say to you, if we don't, and it's testimony of my own life, when I don't pray, I shrivel up and die. When I don't pray, I lack courage. When I don't pray, I lack boldness. And I just let the world get on top of me. And so I want to encourage you to pray. And I've got three scriptures just to encourage all of us in. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. That's a wonderful promise. And I've just been reflecting on this this year. As we think about prayer, I want to pose a question to you and ask you to reflect on it and think on it this, this, um, this uh, week. Why do we so often assume that what God wants us to do excludes what we want to do. And actually, we also think it excludes what we want God to do. Why, why do we think like that? Because I want to say to you, it's simply not true. 
generally speaking, we are in God's will when we are leading the kind of life that He has for us by the power of the Spirit. When we are walking by the Spirit, we are pleasing Him. And that leaves a lot of initiative for you and I on our part to take initiative through prayer. And I believe God responds to our initiative. He responds to our ideas, our creative thinking, and they are central to the outworking of His will in our lives. It's not some kind of tide trip that we are either in His will or out His will. No, no, no. When we are walking by the Spirit, it's like this big, joyful space for us to explore in Him. It's an adventure. And our prayers are part of that. The initiative that God wants us to take. So I, I want to set you free, if possible, through that. That we pray boldly, that we pray big prayers with faith, not presumptuously, but because it's part of God's plan for us. Yeah? Secondly, Isaiah 62, 6 says this, On your walls, Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. The, this scripture speaks of the need of watchmen, those that are going to look out on the walls, look out over Jerusalem, which is the spiritual, spiritual Jerusalem, the church. There's a responsibility on us to pray. There's also a persistence that we need in prayer. And this verse commends those that give God no rest. It commends those that don't give up. I will encourage you, don't give up in your prayer life. Yeah? And there's a further encouragement in Isaiah 35. Verse 3, which says this, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and He will come and save you. That's a great encouragement to us, isn't it? I want to say to you, I read somewhere this um, last month, the Bible says 366 times, 366 times the Bible uses this phrase, do not be anxious, do not be afraid, or do not fear. 366 times. You know how many days there are in a year? 365. You know what the other day is for? It's for the leap year that we're going to have this year. Every single day, God wants you to hear from Him. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I am with you. I am with you. The God of all eternity, I am with you. That tells me that we need to hear it every single day. Every day you get up and you're feeling fearful about something. You don't know what's going to happen at work. People are giving you a hard time. Speak to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Say to yourself, God says to me today, do not fear. Because he, that's what he says of all of us. Every single day of every single month. And... The place where we most hear His voice is in the place of prayer. 366 times. You know, some, some might say, I can't see anything yet. There's no breakthrough coming. Well, I say to you, that's faith. Faith is the assurance. It is the substance of things not yet seen. When you have them, you don't need to have faith for them anymore. <laughs> So will you give up now or will you trust him for his promises? So Tox and, and uh, Eunice and I, we just try to get practical. How do we encourage people to pray on their own, in their own walk with God? Well, here's some suggestions for you, okay? And I'm trusting, obviously, that the, you have a devotional time where you um, spend some time with God in whatever way you do that. But I want to suggest, suggest this to you. What about praying with your husband or your wife? You know, there's sometimes that Helen is really good at getting up in the morning, and there are other times that I'm better at getting up in the morning. It's just, that's just the way it is. 
when you've had a busy week, you perhaps feel tired, you're not the one to want to initiate getting out of bed to pray. On those times, you lean into your spouse and say, okay, you help me this morning. You go make the coffee, and you help each other. So what about learning to pray, not just by yourself, but with your husband or your wife? What about for those of, and I want to encourage this for all of us, just not those that are not, are not married, but what about this year committing to prayer partners? Committing yourself to one person in this church that you know and that loves you, that will care enough to meet you every week for coffee and to pray with you. Yeah? This is how we can encourage each other. Petri and I and and Colin and Callum have been meeting every Friday in my home at 6 o'clock. We have some coffee. Like I said, I stumble out of bed. I have some coffee and uh, we... We try to encourage each other and we pray together. Sometimes in the summer we go for a walk through the park. It's glorious. Those are the good times. It's, it's when you have to get the frost off your car in the morning, it's like those are the bad times. So that's when you don't want to do it. But I want to say to you, Jesus is worth it. His people are worth it. It is worth the sacrifice. Martin has been meeting with some guys in St. Albans. Um, and it doesn't have to just be guys. Anyone can pray. And I would encourage you all to, to, to seek someone who can be a prayer partner with you this year. Grace means that we open our lives and we are accountable with our lives with each other. That is what grace calls us to. Okay? What about Skype? Why do we only use Skype to speak to our relatives in far-flung countries? What if you can't make it to someone else's home? Why don't you Skype them? Why don't you Skype them? At 10 o'clock at night and just say, I just want to Skype so we can pray. Why don't we use technology creatively? Let's Skype each other. (laughs) If you're not a good morning person, well then get on Skype at night if you're a night person and pray with someone who can see your face and pray with someone in this church. Yes? Amen. Come on. And there are many opportunities to pray together. And we pray before the Sunday meeting. Every Sunday, 9.15 why not put your cup of coffee down one week and come and pray with God's people just because it's worth it to pray for the church? Fellowship is great, but praying is better. <laughs> come and pray with us. We can drink coffee after the meeting, all right? No other reason but that we love this church. There are prayer groups. Uh, I want to encourage more of these prayer groups to, um, uh, to uh, be germinated this year. What about guys getting together in St. Albans? What about guys getting together in, 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 in Hatfield? What about guys getting together in... Hemel Hempstead. There's a whole bunch of guys in Hemel Hempstead. You can all encourage each other in Hemel Hempstead now. There's a whole multitude. There's an army. (laughs) Come on. Jesus is worth it. Okay. My ranting is nearly finished. And then, we, we just felt this, to pray in terms of corporate meetings. Uh, like we did this morning, that prayer needs to become much more part of our times together, that we pray for each other during our corporate times of, of, of worship and uh, give, te- give opportunity for testimony and um, that, that would encourage us. Yeah? I want to give you a personal testimony that I, I haven't shared with many people, but um, it is a good story for us. It's a great story for us. We've had one car for many, many years and um, Helen has been doing much more work um, this year at the church and getting, trying to coordinate our family has been quite stressful. And we, we didn't really even pray about it. We just said, hey, God, it would be great to have another car. It really would. But we, 
please, you know. So, before Christmas, you remember John and Jenny left to go back to South Africa. Well, we didn't know this. They were staying with, um, with Kevin and Barbara, our, our um, Helen's sister. And um, we get a phone call before Christmas from Helen's dad, and he just he says, he says this. He's not a believer, uh, as far as I know. And um, Helen's mum is, and he just said, Mom and I were talking, and we felt we wanted to just buy this car for you and Helen. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So they gave us this Yaris, this Toyota Yaris, paid for, don't owe cent on it. And uh, you know what I'm saying? All these things will be added to you. I've given cars away in the past. I've never received one. I want to say it's great to give away. It's also great to receive a car. <laughs> Wonderful. And so that's my testimony. I, I, that's why I say to you, God can add all things. I, it's not going to be all diff- It's not going to be, it's not going to be the same for us. And we don't give something away so that we can receive something back. That is just rubbish. That is not the gospel. We give because God has given us. We give generously. We give expecting nothing back. So I hope that encourages you that whatever you're facing in terms of your life, God can meet your needs. And I want to encourage you that sometimes even the prayers of your heart, you don't even verbalize them. They're just prayers in your heart. And God, yes, He's faithful, eh? It's amazing. All right. So we wanted to say, lastly, I want to say this, that we want to regularly commit ourselves to fasting and prayer this year. And so what we're suggesting is that we do a prayer night every six weeks or so, and the first date that we would like to call the church to pray and to fast for the day is Friday, February the 3rd. And uh, we're going to fast. We want you to fast with us. We want to, we'll have an agenda for that prayer time. We will meet together on the Friday night. We'll break our fast together, and we will have some time of worship, and we will pray around some themes that we feel God gives us for the year. I want to say to you, it will be as passionate as we make it, it will be as well attended as we choose, and it will be as exciting as our prayers are. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, come and be part of it with all of my heart, but let's start praying in a committed and a fresh way. All right? And lastly, they were committed to meeting in each other's homes. Curvis has already said, if you're not in a life group, a small group, um, I, want to, I want to call you in God to commit yourself to a life group this year. Call them what you like, life group, small group, connect group, whatever. The primary way that we can take care of each other and pray for each other and open our lives to each other is in a small group forum, okay? And there are reasons that we can prioritize that. There are many reasons that we, can not, we might choose not to prioritize that. There's a reality that many of you travel into London every single day. That's tiring. I understand that. I understand the reality of children and family pressures. I understand that. I, at the same time, want to call you to the high call under the grace of God that a life group is a primary way that you can be discipled, befriended, prayed for, find people that will love you over a period of time. Yeah, that's just the reality. So I want to again say to you, the investment in your time is absolutely worth it. I want to encourage you to make an absolute priority in your life. And again, this can only come by revelation of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that I think should happen in life groups. For me, it's a key place of discipleship, key place of fellowship, place of prayer, place of ministry, place of worship, place where the Word can be shared. These are key ingredients. It's much, much more than just a bunch of mates getting together. That's just a group. 
<laughs> that's just having someone around for dinner. That's, that's, there's no intent with that. There has to be, we are a spiritual community. When we get together in a small group, it's with a spiritual intent to seek God, to pray for each other, to love each other, and to see it go somewhere. It's got to be a blessing to other people. If it's just me and my mates getting together and we just have a good time, it's not doing the kingdom much good, is it? Okay. And I, I have to be honest with you, I've seen over 20 years of ministry that there's this, this reality. Those that do not connect themselves to some kind of small group forum are the most open to the devil's attack, the devil's discouragement, and they are easily picked off the spiritual in the, this individualistic age of which I've spoke just picks them off one by one and just over a period of time no longer part of the church community. Just reality. That's it. So we look the reality square in the eye and we say, God, we're not going to let that happen this year. There is a reason why the scripture says we meet in each other's homes. It's because we need each other. We need each other. So these are the high calls of the grace of God in our life. And I want to encourage you that we become a praying community, a a community that meets in each other's home, a community that values the gospel, a community that lives out the gospel. And next week, Becky is going to talk to us about becoming a worshiping community. Amen?